Holy Father, our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank you for sending the Lamb of God to us so that he could take away our sins. And as the lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon is seeking to force people to abide by what it thinks it's right, we thank you, Lord, that you give us choice. And we thank you that you offer salvation. And Father, in a special way, we ask for the Holy Spirit here in a mighty way to touch our minds and touch our hearts. May I be a blessing, not a curse to your people. And may the spirit of this message be the spirit of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the sure word of prophecy where you know the end from the beginning. And Father, we thank you that as this nation is falling apart, that you provide healing for the nations. Help us to be those medical missionaries to heal this fractured nation through your power. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those that pay attention to the news, be it CNN or Fox News, be it ABC or CBS, we see one thing that we could agree on. America is becoming more and more divided. We see intolerance everywhere, either from the left or to the right, whatever political persuasion you are in, intolerance reigns supreme. When our previous president, President Obama, was the president of this nation, there was intolerance for those that believed in the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman. In fact, down the road from where my parents live in Gresham, Oregon, there was a Christian bakery. And a same-sex couple asked this Christian bakery to bake a same-sex wedding cake for them. You know, uh, instead of a bride and a groom, you had a groom and a groom or a bride and a bride. And this Christian bakery, with all gentleness and meekness, said, you know, we're a Christian bakery. There are many other bakeries all around, but we don't feel comfortable doing this. Can you find another baker to do this? And the same-sex couple sued the Christian bakery and they were fined, the, the Christian bakery was fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. And their business had to shut down. So we see intolerance from the left when that happened. And now, as the pendulum has swung to the right, where the religious right is now in control of this president, we see your intolerance for Muslims. We see your intolerance for minorities. We see intolerance everywhere, either be it to the left or to the right, America is becoming more and more intolerant. We have Charlottesville. You have people on one hand barking loudly for white supremacy. Then you have the counter-protest saying that they need to be stopped. And you have intolerance in the left and intolerance in the right. And brothers and sisters, you could shout and demonstrate all you want, but you're not going to win. That is not the answer. More protests, more shouting, more arguing is not going to solve the situation. And sadly, this is permeated in our church. There's divisions in our church, divisions in ordination, divisions on the Godhead. 
and social media, people are shouting, trying to convince each other, and you have all of this intolerance and screaming and yelling, and the same partisan spirit of the world is now penetrated the same partisan spirit in our church. God is calling us to a higher standard. In fact, Jesus says this in a solemn warning. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. The Bible says this, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There's no tolerance for another person. We don't even treat the person that opposes us politically or theologically as human beings. We see them as the enemy. And you see, Satan is raising this type of extremist, both extreme left and extreme right. You know, in Daniel chapter 11, you have two powers. You have the king of the south and the king of the north. The king of the south represents secular humanism. They believe in relative morality. They believe just do whatever we want. If it feels good, it's not hurting anybody, just do it. But they are intolerant of people who follow the Bible. In the other end, you have the king of the north, which represents the papacy. The king of the north is seeking to legislate morality, to force people to be Christians. So you have extreme intolerance in the left, and you have extreme intolerance in the right, and who should be in the center? It should be us as Seventh Adventists, because we don't subscribe to the left or the right. Do you know that liberals and conservatives collaborated to crucify Jesus? You had the Sadducees who were the extreme left. They were the progressives. And you had the Pharisees, the extreme right. They were the conservatives, dare I say, some that profess what we call present truth. Both of them collaborated to kill Jesus. And the same spirit of intolerance has penetrated our nation, and it mimics what Bible prophecy tells us about the future of the United States of America. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13, 11. What power will rise upon the earth in the last days? Revelation 13, 11. The Bible says, And I beheld another, what? Beast come out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So here, prophecy is describing a beast, lamb-like, but speaks as a dragon. Those are the characteristics. And the Bible interprets itself. What does a beast represent? Notice the Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 23. The Bible says, and he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? Kingdom. So a beast represents a kingdom or a political power. So this beast, this lamb-like beast, represents a nation. And we know even in secular world, isn't the United States represented by an eagle? Isn't Russia represented by a bear? You see, Literal animals and beasts represents nations, and the Bible itself has shown us that a beast represents a nation or a kingdom. So this beast that comes out of the earth, and remember, in my earlier presentation, the earth represents a relatively unpopulated area. This beast looks like a lamb or has lamb-like horns, and what does a lamb represent? The Bible says, the next day John seeth Jesus come unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So this nation has a form of a Christian nation. But what does this lamb-like or Christian nation do? Verse 15 of Revelation 13. 
The Bible says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So in other words, this Christian nation that will come from a relatively unpopulated area will institute what's called forced worship. You see, what makes the mark of the beast the mark of the beast is not Sunday by itself. If you think that people have the mark of the beast by worshiping on Sunday by itself, you are wrong. What makes the mark of the beast, mark of the beast, is forced Sunday worship. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. So I know there's well-meaning Seventh-day Adventists, and I've heard stories. They go around, once they get baptized, they go to the evangelistic series, they go to their non-Adventist family members and say, you're worshiping the mark of the beast, or you have the mark of the beast because you worship on Sunday. That's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is forced Sunday worship. Because whoever doesn't worship the image of the beast should be, what? Killed. That's forced worship to me. And so, we must conclude that this Christian nation is going to institute forced worship. Now, a little bit of American history, because I'm a history teacher. Bear with me. Please don't fall asleep. When those that were persecuted came to the United States or North America to establish the colonies. You had the Puritans. The Puritans escaped persecution, but they carried the spirit of the papacy in it that if you don't believe the way they did, you would be killed or persecuted. Because at that time, if you're not part of the church, because the church and the government was one, you could not vote, and you'd be kicked out of the colony. In fact, if you're suspected as a witch, they would hang you. That spirit of intolerance. Now, this is what our current president, this is what he's doing. Time Magazine, August 15, 2016, Trump promised that one of the first efforts as president would be to dismantle laws that keep Christian churches from spending tax-exempt money on political advocacy. So he wants churches to be involved in politics. And notice this. This is from our president's voting base because the support of our current president came from what's called the religious right, evangelical Christians. You know what they call him? This is an article from one of these evangelical Christian websites. They call our president Elijah, giving the Elijah message to restore and revive a nation that's in apostasy. They say that he's going to be bringing a great awakening to America. They are saying in this article that he is like Cyrus, the anointed. Now, notice this. This is an evangelical prayer group that came about. What this faith network is doing for President-elect Trump. This is January 14, 2017. This is what they're saying. This is, a, this is from their website. They're praying for the president and we should pray for our president, amen? We should pray for any leader that God influences them. And you know, brothers and sisters, our president may be very cantankerous 
in some eyes. Some people think he's a hero. Some people think he's a villain. But God still loves him. And just like Nebuchadnezzar the proud was prayed for by Daniel, administered by Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar was converted, so too our president has an opportunity to accept Jesus, wholly and fully as he should. And so notice, this is what these evangelicals are doing. This is their agenda. They intend to be serious spiritual partners to this secular government. The future of America is literally in the hands of the church in this hour. So what they're doing in their agenda, the religious right, is that they intend to have be serious spiritual partners with the secular government. Sounds like church and state being connected and partnered with. You know what the sad thing is, brothers and sisters? There's many Seventh-day Adventists that are so caught up in partisan politics right now that they do not see what's going on right before our eyes. They, with all veracity, when the previous president was on the scene, they pointed to his error about religious liberty, and he did a lot of damage to religious liberty, yes, but the current president is one and the same. I'm an equal opportunity rebuker, brothers and sisters. Partisan politics don't matter to me. Now, this evangelical article said they intend to be serious spiritual partners to the this secular government. Notice what Ellen White says in Great Controversy. Great Controversy, page 443, paragraph 3. Notice what she says. We've seen here that this evangelical prayer group named Paul Strand, he stated that he wants to serious spiritual partners to this secular government. Notice what Ellen White says about partnering the church with secular government. Notice what she says. Great Controversy, page 443, paragraph 3. Whenever the church has obtained what power? Secular power. She has employed it to punish dissent from her doctrines. Protestant churches that have followed in the steps of Rome by forming alliance with worldly powers have manifested a similar desire to restrict liberty of conscience. Last day of events, page 313, paragraph 3. In the very act of enforcing a religious duty by secular power, the churches with themselves form an image to the beast. That's image to the beast talk that this religious right evangelical group is talking about. Yet, many Seventh-day Adventists voted for fear about the LGBT agenda being blind to the fact that there's a religious right agenda to the right. That's why Ellen White says to do not cast your faith in political parties. Hence, the enforcement of Sunday keeping in the United States would be an enforcement of the worship of the beast and his image. And notice this. Notice the inspiration says, Great Controversy, page 592. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislatures, in order to secure what favor? Public favor. Will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. You see, if the Johnson Act is done away with, you empower churches to be politically active, to politically mobilize. Therefore, you have congregations that basically could say, you vote the way the pastor wants you to vote, or else you may be disfellowshipped. And then you have a voting base, and you have popular demand to do whatever the church desires the government to do. Because what politicians want to do, and what politicians like, are votes to remain in office. They may not agree personally, 
but for the desire for power to gain votes, to secure popular favor, the image of the beast is set up right before our eyes. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that the mark of the beast is happening tomorrow. And I'm praying for more time because our churches are not ready. There's too much division in the church right now. And so we see here that this lamb-like beast, which is in line with apostate Protestantism to legislate Christian morality, is already right before our eyes. And if we don't believe in Adventist Bible prophecy, what clearer than we have what we saw right now? You know, in the 19th century, when Ellen White and our pioneers were teaching this, you know, people were saying, oh, you guys are crazy. This will never happen. You see, the United States just came from a civil war where it was divided and there was war. The United States had a weak army at that time. The United States were a bunch of frontiersmen and people that were battling around in, in the forest with cheap rifles. But now we see this nation becoming a superpower nation, just like Bible prophecy predicted. And it takes less faith today, or it takes less doubt today to believe Bible prophecy than it did in the 19th century. And so, what does this lamb-like beast do? And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spake as a what? Dragon. There's a forgotten voice of the dragon, one that our pioneers taught about. Now notice how the dragon speaks. What is the significance of someone speaking? Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The Bible says this, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. But for of the abundance of the heart his what? Mouth speaketh. So the abundance of the heart of this nation it speaks as a dragon. And what does it mean to speak as a dragon? Notice, Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. The Bible says, And when the dragon saw that he cast unto the earth, he, what, the woman? Persecuted the woman. So the dragon, the voice of the dragon represents persecution. What else does the dragon do? And the dragon was wroth. He was angry with the woman and went to make what? war with the remnant of her seed, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this voice of the dragon is one that persecutes and one that declares war and is angry at those that do not agree with that nation. Specifically, those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So this lamb-like beast is a Christian nation that seeks to persecute. It's a persecuting Christian nation. And brothers and sisters, we're seeing snippets of it right now. We see intolerance right now for those that are different from different faiths. Be it the Sikh, be it the Muslim, be it the atheist. There is widespread intolerance because the pendulum that swung extreme left is now swinging extreme right. Now, notice what the servant of the Lord says about the voice of the dragon. When I read this, my mouth gaped open in shock, in confirmation. 
Notice what inspiration says. Great controversy, page 442, paragraph 1. The prediction that it will speak as a dragon and exercise all the power of the first beast plainly foretells a development of the spirit of what? Intolerance and persecution. That was manifested by the nations represented by the dragon and the leper-like beast. And the statement indicates that the authority of this nation is to be exercising and enforcing some observance which shall be an act of homage to the papacy. So the voice of the dragon is intolerance and persecution. Do we see intolerance here today? Then we're waiting for now persecution. Notice what inspiration says, Great Congress, page 442, paragraph 2. The founders of the nation wisely sought to guard against the employment of secular power on the part of the church. With this inevitable result, intolerance and persecution. Only in flagrant violation of these safeguards of the nation's liberty can any religious observance be enforced by civil authority. By the inconsistency of such action is no greater than is represented in the symbol. It is the beast with lamb-like horns in profession, pure, gentle, and harmless, that speak as a dragon. So the forgotten voice of the dragon is intolerance. And we're becoming, as a nation, more and more intolerant. I mean, you know what's sad, brothers and sisters? My friend, without my knowledge, placed me as an administrator to a Facebook group where people debate all these things in the church. I don't know why he added me. Maybe he wanted to mess with me. And I get feeds every day. And we have Seventh-day Avenues from the right and the left bickering about politics, bickering about Republicans and Democrats, bickering about this and bickering about that. And I'm just like, are you serious? Seventh-day Avenues is caught up in partisan politics? And a spirit of intolerance. I mean, we talk about division theologically, but in the basis matter, we don't even tolerate one another. Our brother or sister, if they disagree with us, that's still my brother or sister. I have family members that are not part of the church, but guess what? That's still my cousin. That's still my uncle. That's still my aunt. That's still my family. But we treat the family of God within each other like a civil war, that that person's my enemy. And we could be standing firm for present truth, thinking that we're challenging the apostasies, but if we see our liberal brethren or our conservative brethren as the enemy, we are preparing to speak as the voice of the dragon, and we're preparing for the mark of the beast. Our pioneers came in an era of great intolerance because the Seventh-day Adventist Church was officially incorporated during the time of the Civil War, I believe in 1863. It was a time of great division. It was a time of great racism because the issue of slavery divided the nation from north to south. And in this intolerant nation came about God's end-time remnant church. And notice what they say what the voice of the dragon is. Notice what J.N. Andrews the Three Angels of Revelation, 1855, this article. Notice what he says. We regard the two-horned beast that as the symbol of a civil and religious power 
differing in many respects from those which have preceded it. It is in appearance the mildest form of power that ever existed, but it is after having deceived the world with its wonders to exhibit all the tyranny of the first beast. Are the pretensions of this power well-founded? Let us examine. If all men are born free and equal, why then does this power hold three million of human beings in the bondage of slavery? Why is it that the Negro race is reduced to the rank of chattels, personal and bought and sold like brute beasts? Uriah Smith, Adventist Review and Sabbath Herald, 1855. This is our, one of our other pioneers. This is what he said. We do not claim that the dragon voice is yet fully developed and the prophecy fully carried out in this respect, but enough has been heard to identify the beast and to establish a precedent from which we are justified in expecting almost any result. Says the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. And yet the same government that utters this sentiment in the very face of this declaration will hold in abject servitude over 3,200,000 of human beings, rob them of those rights with which they acknowledge that all men are endowed by their Creator, and write out a base denial of all their fair professions and characters of blood in the institution of slavery is more especially manifested thus far the dragon spirit that dwells in the heart of this hypocritical nation. In other words, the spirit of the dragon is also the spirit of racism and intolerance. And brothers and sisters, sadly, even within our church right now, there is deep racial division in our church, and I see it in social media. What I thought that the church had victory over for the past 20 years is now come back as a forgotten voice of the dragon. Now, as the popular current is to be intolerant, as the popular current is us versus them, as the popular current is to be intolerant for those that don't believe the way we do, notice what the Bible says. What did the Christian church do? You see, pagan Rome was a republic at one time. But because of social instability and because of intolerance and division, it shifted into an empire to control and subjugate nations that were seeking to control because they want to maintain security. And although they became an empire, a worldwide empire, pagan Rome still had degradation, still had division, and because of that, it shifted from an empire to see to the control of the papacy of a system of church and state. And pagan Rome was at that time the kingdom or nation on the scene when the early Christian church was around. But notice the spirit of the early Christian church. What did they say? Peter answered, other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey who? God rather than men. We pay our taxes, amen? We are law-abiding citizens, amen? But when the laws of men contradict the laws of God, we ought to obey God rather than men. This is the spirit of the early church. This is the spirit of the Adventist church. You see, volume 1 of Testimonies, page 211, paragraph 2. Let me give you some historical background. 
there was a compromise between the states in 1850. And the compromise was there would be federal law, a national law, that if a slave escapes to the north by federal law, you are obligated to return the slave back to the slave master in the south. That was federal law. Notice what the servant of the Lord, notice what she counsels in regards to this federal law. Volume 1 of Testimonies, page 201, paragraph 2. When the laws of men conflict with the word and the law of God, we are to obey the latter, whatever the consequences may be. The law of our land requiring us to deliver a slave to his master, we are not to obey. And we must abide the consequences of violating this law. The slave is not the property of any man. God is his rightful master, and man has no right to take God's workmanship into his hands and claim him as his own. You want to talk about social justice? The Seventh-day Adventist Church wrote the playbook on social justice. But there's this type of social justice that's God's order of social justice. It's not a social justice of protesting or demonstrating, but God has a better way for us to change the world. It's to change the heart. So if you see laws that are intolerant, if you see laws that restrict Muslims from wearing their, their head coverings, when you see laws that prevent people from praying the proper times of their religion, we should stand up for them. As the church was called to stand up for those that are oppressed. The forgotten voice of the dragon is intolerance. And notice what? The principle of obeying the state and obeying God. How do we do this? Notice what the Sermon of the Lord writes in Acts of the Apostles, page 68, paragraph 2. She writes, We are to recognize human government as an ordinance of divine appointment and teach obedience to it as a sacred duty within its legitimate sphere. Notice key word, within its legitimate sphere. But there is, a sphere means that there are boundaries. You understand what I'm saying? But when its claims conflict with the claims of God, we must obey God rather than men. God's word must be recognized as above all human legislation. A thus saith the Lord is not to be set aside for thus saith the church or thus saith the state. The crown of Christ is to be lifted above the diadems of earthly pontates. Continue on. We are not required to defy authorities. Our words, whether spoken or written, should be carefully considered, lest we place ourselves on record as uttering that which would make us appear antagonistic to law and order. We're law-abiding citizens, amen? So we're not going to tell people to go against the police, or we're not going to cause a riot, amen, because we're Seventh-day Adventists. There's a better way. We are not to say to do anything that would unnecessarily close up our way, we have to go forward in Christ's name, advocating the truths committed to us. So Sister White tells us the council, we ought to obey God rather than men. We obey God over any president or any king or any government. But as much as possible, we are to show ourselves as meek and lowly and law-abiding as long as it does not conflict with the word of God. 
Just like during the time when President Obama was in the scene, that he was seeking to have this agenda of LGBT, we must stand clear and faithful that marriage is between a man and a woman, that our churches and our teachers and our educators will adhere to this principle, and so too, and when the pendulum switches to the right, we are to stand up for those that are oppressed by oppressive laws. Seventh-day Adventist is neither Republican or Democrat. We vote Jesus. What is God is asking to do this church at this time in the earth's history? We see oppression all around. We see what's happening right now with the dreamers. Young people that were taken to this nation when they were two or three years old or as a child, they were based upon their parents' decision and now they're hung out to dry right now in a precarious situation. God has a ministry for us to, for the undocumented. God has a ministry for us for the dreamers. God has a ministry for us for the white supremacist. God has a ministry for us for the neo-Nazi. What are we to do? Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. So who do we have to show compassion to? To how many men? Every man, no matter what political persuasion, no matter what affiliation, even if that race hates you, we're to show compassion for him. And oppress not the widow nor the fatherless, the stranger or the undocumented immigrant, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. My heart breaks because of the racial intolerance that's permeating in this church right now. You know how God views racism, brothers and sisters? You know God dealt with racism in the Bible? Notice what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says that Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Sounds like um, Miriam and Aaron were racist. There was a racial problem. What did God do? How did God view this racism? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Leprosy is a type of sin. The forgotten voice of the dragon is intolerance. Part of intolerance is racism, and racism is a sin. And because this sin has permeated our church, God is telling us that there's a better way to let go of that sin and to embrace love. Now, I'm going to read you some statements written by Seventh-day Adventists from social media. I blurred out their names, but these are Seventh-day Adventists. Some of these are conservative Seventh-day Adventists that believe, quote-unquote, the three angels' messages, that believe in the investigative judgment, that technically believe everything that I do. But notice what they're writing in social media. This is a message that I got from this woman. I believe Muslims are the most dangerous and they have the agenda to destroy the West. I don't hear the KKK or white supremacists cutting head or putting bombs around the world as Muslims do. Please don't make excuses or dilute the threat they pose to the West. She wrote that. Seventh-day Adventist to my private inbox. Intolerance. On another social media site, I conducted an experiment. 
I said this, if you knew a Seventh-day Adventist undocumented immigrant, what would you do? This is what this man said. This is basically classified as fraud, and committing fraud is one of the reasons for disfellowshipping members of our church. Personally, I feel that an SDA did this, they should be disciplined by the church. I wrote, and I responded to this man, I am assuming you would report them to the authorities. He responded by this. I would lend them a hand and provide transportation to the authorities. I would lend whatever emotional support I could during this trying event as I turned them in. People within our church has this spirit. This gentleman, he's conservative. Conservative theologically and conservative politically. First of all, this statistic is false. 1.6%, only 1.6% of U.S. citizens owned slaves in 1860 when slavery was at its peak. So you can stop basing your hate for the white race on the actions of the mere 1.6%. And that caused an uproar in this site. I'm not going to tell you that site. It's very unedifying. I try to get off of that site, but they just suck me back in. This is what this man said. Sorry, what's tied up? What I mean by less whining and more working, less whining and more working, enjoy. In other words, those African-Americans that are talking about racism, he said they're whining. This is someone within our church, someone that professes the three angels' messages, spirit of intolerance. And that's why I'm dealing with this issue. We know the problem now. We've diagnosed the problem. But there's an inspired solution to the problem. When there's a problem, God has met every apostasy, every sin, every situation, every dark strait. There's an answer in the word of God. And how will there be healing of the nations? That's the theme of this weekend. Notice what the Bible says, Revelation 22, verse 2. The Bible says, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life which bare twelve manners of fruits and yielded her fruit. Every mouth and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now we may say, wait a minute. That's when we go to heaven. That's where the tree of life is. But do you know as you do study of the tree of life that we could partake of the tree of life here on earth? What do we mean by this? Notice. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous. What are the righteous? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of what? Tree of life. Doesn't the Bible say, by their fruits you shall know them? Right? And he that winneth souls is wise. So, the fruit of the righteous and those that win souls that are wise are those that have the tree of life. What does the righteous do? What is the fruit of the righteous? Psalms 37, 21. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. So the fruit of the righteous is to show mercy. And what is the fruit of the righteous? Well, you can only be righteous by receiving the righteousness of Christ. And you only receive the righteousness of Christ from the Holy Spirit. And also the Bible says in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, That is the healing of the nations. Mercy, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, soul-winning. Because when you win souls, you love. Amen? Notice what the Spirit of Prophecy says. 
Volume 6 of the Testimonies, page 393, paragraph 1. The simple declarations of Scripture will be received and acted upon. Its living principles are as the leaves of the tree of life for the healing of the nation. So the simple declarations of the Bible is for the healing of the nations. Continue on. Select the messages, volume 2, page 187, paragraph 1. Love is the fruit that is born on the Christian tree, the fruit that is as the leaves of the tree of life for the healing of the nations. So what is the healing of the nations? What is the tree of life? It is love. And notice this, Review and Herald, January 16, 1913. The sons of men had had a practical knowledge of evil. Christ came to the world to show them that he had planted for them the tree of life, the leaves of which are for the healing of the nations. So when Jesus came, when Jesus did his ministry here, he planted a tree for the healing of the nations. I say, we should study the ministry of Jesus. How about you? What did Jesus do that brought healing to the nations? Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Notice what the Bible says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the who? To the poor. Are there many poor people here today? More than ever. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Are there people depressed here today? Needing emotional healing. God has given us the emotional healing ministry here today to be medical missionaries, not only about the body, but the mind and the heart. And that's why, brothers and sisters, healing reign is a vital ministry. To preach deliverance to the captives, liberty. Liberty of conscience, liberty from sin. And recovering the sight of the blind, not only physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. To set at liberty them that are abused, those that are oppressed, those that are abused. God is seeking us to bring liberty to those that are heartbroken, those that are oppressed and being bruised. And also to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, the acceptable year of the Lord, that deals with prophecy. So God is seeking to do a ministry for us where we heal, preach, in connection with end-time Bible prophecy. And what was the message that Jesus did? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. The Bible says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, question. When Jesus says repent, what does Jesus give when we repent? Forgiveness, right? In other words, Jesus preached the message of justification by faith. God forgives and seeking to forget or blot out your sins. In connection, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, in connection with Bible prophecy. You understand what I'm saying? You see, we divorce the two. 
Some of us focus on the justification by faith without teaching Bible prophecy. But God has married these two together, and the ministry is to preach that Jesus forgives and forgets our sins, but also that there's come a time where Jesus is going to come to restore this earth anew. Notice what inspiration says. In some of the messages, volume 2, page 486. The walls of sectarianism and caste and race will fall down when the true missionary spirit enters the hearts of men. Prejudice is melted away by the love of God. The Bible says in Revelation 3 of the Laodicean message that we are neither cold nor hot, that we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, or naked. In other words, we're devoid of love. That's why we have racism in the church. That's why we have intolerance in the church. Notice, how did Jesus do to combat racism? You know the Jews were racist. If you're not a part of the Jewish race, what were you? You were an outcast. Oh, especially the Samaritans. They were really bad. They were half-breeds. We don't want to associate with them. We don't want them to even enter our churches. We want segregation. Have mercy. What did Jesus do? John chapter 4, verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am I a woman of Samaria, for the Jew having no dealings with the Samaritans? In other words, Jesus ministered to those that were outcasts. Jesus ministered to a race that he was not supposed to like. So too we are called to minister to whatever ethnicity or whatever race as Jesus has done. Jesus was giving this true solution to tolerance and to battle racism. Notice what Special Testimonies Bulletin, Volume 4, page 29 says. Notice what Inspiration says. If we are to carry on the work most successful, the talents to be found among the English and Americans should be united with the talents of those of every other nationality. And each nationality should labor earnestly for every other nationality. There is but one Lord, one faith. Our effort should be to answer Christ's prayer for his disciples, that they should be one. Do you know Sister White and her family practiced what they preached? You see, after the Civil War came Reconstruction. And at that time, in the South, you had deep racial divisions. And the KKK and white supremacy was about to rise up. But then Ellen White's son, I believe it's Edson White, he came with the steamboat, the Morning Star, and he sailed all across the South and ministering to the former slaves and to ministering to a nationality. He risked death to minister to African Americans. So too, we should have love for those that are of a different race, even to the white supremacists. Difficult thing. Our safety might be in danger. But when we have that love, we'll reach out to them. And what did Jesus also do? Notice what was the reaction to Jesus ministering to the Samaritan woman. John chapter 9, verse 39. The Bible says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him 
for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Because Jesus ministered, regardless of the racial climate of that time, many Samaritans were one to Jesus. That same power is given to us today. We can fight racism not by protest, by sharing Jesus. That is the only solution to the problems of intolerance here today. That's the only solution that'll help unite the Seventh Avenue Church. How else did Jesus heal race relations? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 and 10. Jesus healed the Roman centurion. You know, I imagine at that time, there was a movement called Jewish Lives Matter. I'm serious. Because the Roman centurions, they were the police of that time. And anyone that was standing against the Roman government, they were killed by the police. The Jews thought they were oppressed by the Romans. And those that protested against Rome, they were murdered by the police at that time, which were the Roman centurions. But what did Jesus do? He healed a Roman centurion. Blue lives matter, black lives matter, Jewish lives matter, all lives matter in the eyes of Jesus. Not only that, in Matthew 15, verse 23 and 27, he healed the daughter of a Canaanite Greek woman, a heathen. Someone that did not believe the way he did. Perhaps it was the Muslim of that day. Perhaps it was the New Ager of that day. Perhaps it was a Buddhist of that day. Jesus healed the daughter of a Canaanite Greek woman. And also in Luke 17, 12 to 17, Jesus healed the Samaritan leper. That brings healing to the nations. And what is connected to this healing ministry? Notice what Testimony of the Church, Volume 9, page 21. We are to work as gospel medical missionaries to heal the sin-sick souls by giving them the message of salvation. This work will break down prejudice as nothing else can. You know what saddens me, brothers and sisters? Seventh Avenue's young people, the millennials, they're very zealous about protesting. They're very zealous about what's going on politically. They're very zealous about what's going on, and they want to stand up for what's right but we're often directed to the wrong means. The right means is ministry. The right means is medical missionary work. The right means is preaching that you could have deliverance over sin. The right means is that you're forgiven by a loving God, that you no longer have to feel the burdens of guilt in your heart because God will set you free. And notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. This is what Jesus did. But that ye may know that the Son of Man had power on earth to forgive sins. In other words, it was the message of justification by faith. The message that Jesus forgives and forgets your sins. But not only that, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. In other words, Jesus had a healing ministry with a gospel ministry. This is the solution to our nation. And when we're dealing with a racist or someone that we disagree with, how should we approach them? 
Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals on fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We have to untrain our minds by the grace of God. Our instinct as human beings in this world of sin is to fight back physically, to argue back on every point. But Jesus has another way for us to fight, to overcome evil with good, to overcome hate with love. God is seeking to do that for us. What does the Bible say about various nationalities and races? The Bible says in Acts 17, verse 26, And he hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. In other words, God has made us all one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. But the kingdom of heaven is a true superpower nation. They'll be there forever. And God is seeking us to be one nationality, one nation, not divided by ethnicity or race or culture, but together bounded by our love for God and love for one another. In fact, what is our nationality? Galatians chapter 3, verse 20 and 29. The Bible says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for all you are... One in Christ Jesus? One in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, brothers and sisters, I'm weird, in case you don't know. I'm just different. You know, when I was a traveling gospel worker, I would often travel to Tennessee and Alabama. I would be the only Asian guy in a meeting of African-Americans, let alone the only Korean guy there. And one of the questions that they would ask me is, what's your nationality? Are you Chinese? Are you Japanese? Are you Thai? You know what I answer them, what my nationality is? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, amen? (laughs) That is our true nationality. And God is seeking to remind us that our true nationality is not black, not white, not Asian. As this world is teetering to the spirit of the world of racism and intolerance, God is telling us that we are one nation. The Seventh-day Adventist worldwide church is our nation and nothing more. You see, Sister White says that as the storm approaches, that a large class of those that profess the third angel's message because partaking of the spirit of the world would join the ranks of the opposition. And I often thought that that spirit of the world, and rightly so, I thought that the spirit of the world was partying, drinking, fornication, immorality. And yes, those are part of that spirit of the world. But another part of that spirit of the world is partisan politics, intolerance, racism, which is blind among many Seventh-day Adventists. But God has given us the solution, which is ministry, to preach the message of justification by faith, a prophetic ministry 
and medical missionary work. Select the Messages, Volume 2, page 486, as I bring some final points. Walls of separation have been built up between the whites and the blacks. These walls of prejudice will tumble down of themselves as did the walls of Jericho when Christians obey the word of God, which enjoins of them supreme love to their maker and impartial love to their neighbors. So at the message, volume 2, page 487. When the Holy Spirit moves upon human minds, all petty complaints and accusations between man and his fellow man will be put away. The bright beams of the sun of righteousness will shine into the chambers of the mind and heart. In our worship of God, there will be no distinction between rich and poor, white and black. All prejudice will be melted away. When we approach God, it will be as one brotherhood. We are pilgrims and strangers, bound for a better country, even a heavenly. We're all immigrants in this journey, brothers and sisters. There all pride, all accusation, all self-deception will forever have an end. Every mask will be laid aside and we shall see him as he is. There our songs will catch the inspiring theme and praise and thanksgiving will go up to God in order for us to give the loud cry to call people out of Babylon. We must provide the world with something better. And if our church is a divided church racially, ethnically, we're not ready to give the loud cry. We have to do better. We are to demonstrate to the world that men of every nationality are one in Christ Jesus. Then let us remove every barrier and to come into unity in the service of the master in the erection of national barriers, you present to the world a plan of human invention that God can never endorse. In closing, I want to share with you my story of my dealings with the Seventh Adventist Church. I'm a, Los I'm a Los Angeles boy, true and true. I was born in L.A., December 27, 1975, down the road in White Memorial Medical Center. East L.A. When I was growing up, East L.A. was getting, shifting to a pretty bad area. I remember a time when I was riding the tricycle outside our parents' apartment that there was a thief that was hiding in the garbage container from the police, from the LAPD, with a gun pointing out from the garbage can, and that freaked out my grandmother, and my parents said, we got to move out of here. So we moved to the Pacific Northwest, to Oregon. Oregon was different than Southern California. You see, in Southern California, you have every nationality under the sun. And now I was in a situation where I was one of very few Asian people. I got made fun of a lot. They made fun of my food. Even the preschool teachers made fun of me for being Asian. In fact, they didn't know where Korea was. They thought I was a Vietnamese refugee. Go figure. Now everyone knows Korea thanks to K-pop.
And I remember in grade school, as I advanced in Adventist schools, the kids would make fun of my seaweed and my soy sauce and the food that I ate differently. And I cried to my parents. I said, Mom, why couldn't I have been white? And then when I entered high school at an Adventist academy, the students, N-word everywhere, derogatory terms from the Asians everywhere. There were just a few of us. There were like practically only, in a, in, a, in a school of 250 kids, there were like five Asians, five African-Americans, five Hispanics, 15 of us. And because we were all dealing with the racism, we all joined forces. Because we all understand each other's pain. At that time, hip-hop music came on the scene. And because of my pain, I embraced black nationalist hip-hop music. You know, White Men of the Devil, Malcolm X, I wore a Malcolm X, you know, an Asian kid wearing a Malcolm X cap by any means necessary, because I was so much in pain for what I was dealing with. In fact, that's me right here. This is my, this is my group of African-American friends. Yeah, all white school. This, that was my crew back in the day. One thing that really was a defining moment at that time, I was very close to a a young lady who's white. Her father was part of the conference leadership, the executive committee. He was the treasurer. She told me that we can never be a couple because my father and mother believe interracial relationships is a sin. In my mind, after I graduate, after I graduate college, I'm done with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Forget that. I'm going to be a Muslim. I'm going to embrace Islam. Hey, they're real. They embrace every nationality. Why do I want to be a Seventh-day Adventist? One day, at the Adventist Academy, there were two teachers. One was the Bible teacher. And he was present truth. He would preach straightly about the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And I would say, I disagree with you 100%. And he would be so gentle, so kind. And he would show from the Bible every answer from Scripture. And he would never get upset at me. That impacted me. He looked like James White. By the way, that's him right there. Looks like a pioneer, doesn't he? Fast forward 15 years later, he was actually preaching in Southern California. And I, I came to him. I, I made it my business to visit him. And I said, God has changed my life. You know, everything you taught from the Bible, it is true. And I believe everything that you taught. And he invited me to his church to preach. I believe the seeds that he gave to me in his Bible class allowed me to remain a Seventh-day Adventist till this day. There was another one. A history teacher, Dave Teberry. 
There are two white, white men, white gentlemen. He looked very cranky. He would not talk to freshmen or sophomores. When I became a junior, somehow we connected, because I always liked history. One day, I got in a huge argument with my classmates. It was like a racial argument, and I got so angry, I slammed my hand on the desk, and I walked away. I started walking. I started walking down the hall. I was walking out of the gate, and I was walking out of school, and I said, forget the school. I'm walking. I'm out of here. Mr. Tiberi starts chasing after me. And as I was walking outside the gate, running away from school saying, this Seventh Avenue church is nothing to me. It's a bunch of fakes. It's a bunch of hypocrites. It's a bunch of racists. It's a white man's religion. Mr. Tiberi ran and tracked me down saying, come on, Peter, you got to come back here. Now, he could throw the book at me. Technically, I should be suspended for many days. But he just talked to me. He comforted me. He befriended me. One day, he said to me with my LA Raiders cap, with my Raiders hoodie, dressed in all black, being as hip hop as it comes, he said to me straight up, Peter, you are gonna be in ministry and you're gonna help finish the work. I said, you crazy, Mr. Teaver. I'm not gonna be in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, no way. There were two things that I said I would never be. I would never be a preacher of the Word of God, and I would never be a teacher. I became both. <laughs> Even in that racist situation, God had a people there to minister. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And you know, honestly, that experience made me who I am today. Now I could go to any nationality. I could be the only Asian guy. I could be the only Korean guy with a bunch of other nationalities. And I feel comfortable because I'm sharing Jesus. God was training me even at that time. That's Mr. T-Bear. I, I, I met him this past summer, and we had a good talk, and I told him everything. I thanked him. And now... I'm in this position right now as the same history teacher that he was, hoping for the next generation to reach out to a young person like me in the future. God has a solution for every situation. God has a solution to racism, prejudice, alcohol, depression, thievery, adultery, fornication, everything that Satan throws, God's love can defeat it and all-encompass it and consume it with the fire of his love. But he needs us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. He needs us to demonstrate that love within ourselves, within brother and sister, even though we believe differently from one another. This is your desire today to demonstrate Jesus to a nation that needs us. When this nation is fiercely divided, 
God is calling us as a people to give a loud cry of the third angel. Come out of my people. Come out of a system of oppression. Come out of a system of intolerance. Come out of a system of racism. God is desiring us to do something special in this time in Earth's history. If you desire to say, Father, today, use me to be a healing for the nations. I simply ask that we stand for that commitment if that's your desire. Holy Father, our Father and God in heaven, Father, this is a difficult message to preach. But Father, we thank you that you give solutions to all the problems of society. As Ministry of Healing says, the gospel is a simplifier of all life's problems. And today we are standing and seeking to receive the outpouring of your spirit upon our hearts so that in the darkest moments of Earth's history, when the love of many waxes cold, that our hearts burn with love for an unlovable society. Father, help us to love the white supremacists, the LGBT, the transsexual, the Muslim, the evangelical Christian. Help us to declare the message of your love and your forgiveness to all. Father, today we are standing in commitment to be healers, to be medical missionaries, to be used to heal the nations. Use us, we pray, and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.